0: Hi hey everyone, what's up? Uh, Daniel here from Dogs and Deadlifts. Super excited uh, to uh, let you guys know about uh, the Unconventional Canine Fitness Academy uh, membership that is uh, due to drop on the 1st of May. Uh, really, really excited to uh, put this uh, shit together for you guys. Um, basically, a, a membership site where you can access um, my Unconventional Canine uh, Fitness Blueprint, a community of like minded people from around the world, um, all in one place. So, really, Really, really looking forward to uh, launching that one on the first of May. Uh, if you're interested, the link will be in the uh, uh, in the the podcast description. I'd love to see you there.
1: Welcome to the Dogs and Deadlifts building better dogs and people podcast join your host daniel rose as we discuss everything canine and human strength and conditioning we talk to experts hear from people in the know and just talk the latest on strength and conditioning for both people and their pups we are about building better dogs and people
0: good morning and welcome back to the dogs and deadlifts podcast today all the way from the uk we have petra broadbelt welcome uh, hi thanks for thanks for joining us i know it's uh it's morning here it's a little bit late there at night so i appreciate uh, you taking the time to to jump on
2: that's fine um by the time i kind of like taking my going out and everything else it's kind of like just about getting ready now to come sort of home uh, yeah. I literally walked in the door about five minutes
0: ago so yeah. look uh, fantastic <laughs> well yeah um well, look today we're going to um, to you know have a chat about a number of different things which I'm super excited about uh, we're going to break it sort of down for the listeners into a couple of different parts if that's okay um, we'll get your introduction in a moment but today guys we're going to uh, um, we're going to talk about uh, canine fitness um, your you know your background uh, CCFT program hydrotherapy and then something that um, really sort of struck out to me was um, you know your uh, dry land mushing with with uh, a team of kelpies. so I'm super excited <laughs> to talk about that a little bit later in the show <laughs> yeah
3: um,
2: they're definitely the <laughs> kind of like the odd odd ones when, when it comes to like the racing over <laughs> here especially i um, love probably uh, not so much in australia but um here that, they definitely are a bit of a kind of like one-off
0: <laughs> for sure and i am loving it and we'll sort of, we'll um but before we we get into that if that's okay can you um give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself i know that you've um uh you know you've got uh, you know the canine fitness business hydrotherapy but you know go back as far as you you like and um you know give us a bit of an introduction if that's okay
2: um yeah well basically i've um worked with dogs since i left school um so uh, i'm not gonna admit to how many years ago that was <laughs> um, <laughs> that's okay so I've yeah. got a pretty, pretty broad background um with dogs um starting off with kind of like working in boarding kennels um mm-hmm. that then led on to dog showing um so i kind of had a introductions are kind of like showing dogs and preparing dogs for dog shows Uh um and then from there it kind of got more into the grooming side of things um and then my first dog which was a border collie um had various kind of health issues and things like that so that kind of got me into the kind of rehab side of stuff um just because she needed quite a lot of input so um it kind of then sort of started to kind of like make me think about other things and like different career changes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then basically I've done the hydro now for about the last, um, probably, I don't know, getting on for like nine years now. Okay. Um, And I helped out in a rehabilitation centre before I kind of set up on my own. Um, So now I run an underwater treadmill business um, along with canine fishing, um, fitness and conditioning work. So... Yeah. it's a mixture of rehab and fitness basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and you know, I know that, um, you, I'd love, you know, you're my, uh, my my first CCFT on the program. So, uh, I'd love to, um, you know, know how, uh, how you went about that. And, uh, for the listeners out there, can you tell them a little bit about that program as well?
2: Um, I was on the first UK course, um, that was run, um, with Kerry Fisher and, um, Crystal wickens and um, Bobby Lyons came over, um, mm-hmm. so it was the first kind of after they'd sort of set the program up in the states. It, I was like one of the first group um, to participate in the course here in the UK.
3: Yeah.
2: Um. Uh, after qualifying with the Fitballs Master trainer Course, which was a really in-depth kind of three-day course, mm-hmm. um, and then after that, once you get all your kind of case studies and things um, assessed and past um i then went on to do the certified fitness course yep. um with the university of tennessee
0: yeah yeah no certainly um so you know i've certainly on my radar um for me personally but you know i've done a number of other other courses uh affiliated with other some other other people but uh, you know that's one of the ones that certainly stands out and uh, certainly um a point of interest for me personally as well
2: yeah um i found the course really interesting um mm-hmm. I think anybody going into it without a sort of background in um kind of general dog kind of anatomy physiology and kind of like basic kind of um i suppose a basic idea of conditioning and fitness yeah. um it's a pretty in-depth course to kind of like take on yep. um so like i i had to kind of like look into the nutrition side of things and things because yeah. that was where probably my weak point was although I kind of coped my own dog's nutrition obviously on a wider scale, that was a that was a big kind of I need to kind of look up into this. Yeah. Um but with everything else it was just kind of I just felt it was like something that I was really interested in and a natural mm-hmm. a, like a natural progression to where I was working. Yep. Um and something that wasn't really being looked into over here
3: in the UK.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah that's you know and i agree you know and I, you know in your opinion you know I say you know for instance you started um you know doing some work with the the hydrotherapy uh, treadmill you know say like nine years ago um this is you know obviously your opinion only but how have you felt that um the perception from the public and people with their performance dogs is coming along since they then you know back then <laughs> uh, and and now
2: um sadly i think kind of like fitness and um General conditioning point of view, it's still mm. kind of like quite slow. Yep. Um, whereas the rehab side of things, the word's starting to get out there now. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely, I think, compared to say the um, USA, we're definitely kind of behind the times in the amount of time and effort people put into the sort of fitness mm. and conditioning side of their dogs, regardless of sports, whether it's agility, obedience, um, mushing. Yep. Um, there's definitely like a real kind of lacking of understanding and sort of Mm. interest I think Um, and I don't know whether that's just down to the fact that it's not been really pushed Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know whether it's a case of like people aren't really aware of what's available
0: Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and I suppose one of the you know one of my goals on the podcast is to help you know, help spread the word, help educate, you know, people that are that don't know, um, you know, anything about, uh, you know, tr- you know, preparing their dog. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, preparing their dog for sports, um, you know, and making sure that they're going to be injury-free, um, you know, getting that inf- access to that information is, is hard, but, you know, with things like podcasts, online programs now, it's getting much easier. And I know that with the last, what, 12, <laughs> 12 months or more, you know, most people have been inside locked up with, uh, you know, due to COVID issues, et cetera. So, you um, you know, they haven't been out competing, etc. cetera, but um, certainly uh, I'm seeing a, a shift in people's mentalities. Um, however, we're not quite, you know, there, you know, where we want to be just yet, you know? So I think it's going to take, yeah. it's going to take a little bit of time.
2: Yeah. Um, and I definitely think, I think like this is fab because it's getting the word out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more people are aware of things that you can work on, mm-hmm. um, then people will kind of like sign up for it. Yeah. Um, like, I think even down to kind of like human sports, yeah. um, it's only what well, in the last kind of couple of decades that people have started to look more at cross training rather than just sport specific training. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, dogs are still that <laughs> much further behind. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. kind of cross training and looking at different aspects of what a dog's body needs to be able to cope with is still really behind the times compared yeah. to like human stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. And look, I always like to quote, you know, I had Jay Jack on the program a little while ago from America and he always, um, you know, in the podcast, he said, look, man, you know, I, I think that we are almost 30 years behind, you know, um, you know, yeah. some, some people may not say 30, you know, but you know, that um, gives a bit of a scope at, uh, you know, how um, behind we are at this point in time, you know? So uh, in regards yeah. to our, you know, a complete and balanced fitness program, cross training, etc. you know, so um. You know that's that's huge (laughs) you know yeah so let's um you know i had i had a couple of questions come in and uh you know i know that i sent them through but uh um for someone that's sort of just uh starting out in their um their i suppose with their performance dog etc correct conditioning programs and preparation you know um how important is that and can you give us some examples of uh you know how someone can go about getting uh their dogs uh you know just in the right well not even just their dogs themselves in the right mindset to think about certain things to do before they participate in a sport um i think one
2: of the kind of like First things, I suppose I started competing with the dogs I already had. So none of my dogs have purposely chosen Mm -hmm. um, to compete in mushing and dry land sledding. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think looking at the dog you've got in front of you um, and the sport you're aiming to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of really over critical of my dogs as far as their structure and conformation and everything else. Um, So I kind of look at my dogs and see their worst parts <laughs> rather than kind of looking at my dogs and seeing seeing the best bits. Um, and I think actually being kind of like quite open-minded to the fact that so far nobody has bred the perfect dog. Mm. Um, like people, I think they think they have um, or they're on their way to producing what they think is going to be the perfect dog for each sport. But mm. I think you need to be kind of like aware of your dog's confirmation and things like that and then work within that limit um as to get the best results out of the dog you've got um Mm -hmm. i kind of i suppose from looking at it from a conditioning point of view i kind of i think foundations are really really important um so many people um with the conditioning stuff because you can use wobble cushions and the fit bones and stuff like that. People are so keen to get onto all the balance equipment mm-hmm. um, because it looks flashy and it looks cool, and so mm-hmm. it kind of like draws your eyes as, as a human towards those sort of things. Um, whereas actually, so much stuff can be done on the floor and then mm-hmm. working up from that. So, mm-hmm. I think um, just making people aware of like you can't just kind of like go out and get a peanut ball and then chuck your dog on top of it and expect it to kind of like have amazing results because in reality that really isn't going to happen
3: yeah
2: um so i think foundations are definitely something that i kind of i'm sort of really anal about (laughs) Um, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: yeah and then sort of progression from that point up Mm -hmm. um and then down to like each sport requires kind of certain things but at the end of the day regardless of the sport you compete in with your dog your dog still needs to be kind of like fit for purpose so um it's working on their weaknesses as well as their strengths.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that sort of probably leads us into our, you know, um, the next question um, about uh, ideal weight and and how important nutrition is uh, to have your dog fit for purpose. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, I think uh, nutrition has become such a massive subject now. Um, Mm -hmm. Like there's the kind of complete raw devotees. um, Mm -hmm. And then there's the kind of like people that kind of like slot into the middle of kind of like, feeding Mm -hmm. a bit of both um, between kibble and raw and then you've got the kind of like kibble feeders and things like that. Um, I think basically as far as I'm concerned it's what if your dog looks good on it then carry on doing what you're doing. Mm. Um, It's kind of it's really a case of just assessing each dog and each dog's needs. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no point in putting a couch potato dog on a really high fat low carb food because Mm -hmm. they're just going to gain a massive amount of weight and then they're not going to be able to do anything. Um whereas if you're looking at the long distance sled dogs, um like the dogs <laughs> that run in the kind of like a glitter rod and stuff like that, obviously mm-hmm. they need a very different calorie
3: yep.
2: intake compared to a dog that's racing 5k. Yeah. So um I think people complicate things a lot, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, with like what they need to feed and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think agility is probably one of the worst sports because people kind of think their dogs need all these extra things and in actual fact all they're doing really is sprinting for like 30 seconds in the ring.
3: Right.
2: Um, yep. The rest of the stuff is down to being um, sport specific. So they need to learn each individual discipline mm-hmm. um, as far as jumping or weaving or their contact equipment. But in actual fact, their energy output is a lot less than even a dog that's running 5K. So yeah. um, I think you need to look at the individual dog and the individual sport um, and, and at what level you're expecting your dog to sort of be able to maintain really
0: yeah, um, <clears throat> sorry uh, so look I I agree you know and um you know I've had some obviously some uh, some guests on the show that uh um you know, have been very, very fantastic. And, uh, you know, but it's one of those things, you know, on the, on the show, we don't get into, um, raw feeding versus, you know, dry feeding is, you know, not a debate yeah. or an argument, you know, uh, same as training techniques. We stay well away from training techniques. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, if you want to talk training tra- techniques, this is not the podcast. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Um, and I think a lot of the stuff is very, very individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, I think you've just got to look at how your dog's performing. Um, are they looking fit? Are they suitable mm-hmm. to be able to get out and race um, or do whatever sport you are competing in? Um, but it's, it's down to that. Is your dog capable of doing the specific sport you're aiming for them to do, really? Yeah. Um, and that covers kind of like a massive thing as far as food, weight, mm. their general body condition, um, <laughs> how fit they are, um, and also kind of like the amount of time you put into training. So it's it's definitely like a huge subject, yeah. um, but I think feeding definitely kind of like hits the real nerve with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I tend not to get into like debates about dog food and what's yep. best for whoever. Yep. Um, but my guys, I kind of, I manage their food, but I don't feed their set amount every day. Um, mm-hmm. It depends on what they're doing. So as far as like quantities of food, mm-hmm. um, my guys vary from like, say Monday to Friday, they they vary each day as to the amount they get because they might not be doing the same amount of of work as they would be doing, say, on a different day. So
3: um,
2: I think being aware of the amount of energy your dog's expending compared to the amount of calories that are going in.
0: That's right, and right. I was going. I was going to say, uh, you know, we really need to have a look at, you know, the listeners are out there going, okay, what sport am I doing? What's the what's the energy? You know, what's the uh, energy in? What's the energy out? And let's adapt our program to do that based on your personal beliefs, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. uh, on what and you know, and also you know, not just personal beliefs, budgets, all these other contributing factors, but, you know, I wanted to just make a reference to it because I think that, you know, there's no point trying to, um, you know, compete, whether it be uh, agility or, or a 5k, um, you know, dry land mushing event with an overweight dog. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like to say, and that, and that definitely comes down to is your dog actually fit for purpose. Yeah. Um, So yeah, an overweight dog or a dog with really severely bad confirmation or whatever. Yep. You've got to really look at it and go, actually, is my dog physically capable of doing this without it causing massive injuries um, or problems? Yep. Um, and nobody wants to look at their dog and see the bad parts. Because mm-hmm. um, as far as we're concerned, all our dogs are perfect.
3: Um, <laughs>
2: so it's, it's being kind of like open-minded to the fact that actually is your dog's confirmation really going to suit kind of hammering around agility courses every weekend um, mm-hmm. and the rigors of training as mm-hmm. equally, is it going to cope with running 5K in harness and, mm-hmm pulling a weight oh. behind it so yeah. um yeah i definitely feel people need to be kind of like quite open minded um mm-hmm. yeah. and that's the same within every breed i think just because you've got like um say a husky or a hound or a kelpie or whatever it's like it's looking at that individual dog and thinking mm-hmm. is it actually physically capable of doing what i'm asking it to do
3: yeah so, for sure um, well-
2: Yeah, so, yeah, I definitely think people need to be kind of like quite open-minded as to where where their dog is and at what level of fitness and things um, as to whether or not it's right to do the sport you're doing. Definitely. Um,
0: Definitely. And I was going to say, you know, and if you're not sure, you know, that's what, that's what uh, professionals are out there for, you know, um, I just, something popped into my head that I just wanted to touch on just briefly. Um, you know, obviously uh, when you come to a professional, they like to conduct a, you know, a gait analysis. They want to see the movement, you know, you know, they want to basically, you know, go over your dog and make sure there's nothing uh, out of the ordinary, you know, but uh, some things, and, and correct me if you do things a diff- little bit differently, um, you know, let's just say, a, you know, the, the thing that pops to mind is a slop sit right so yeah a a sloppy sit could you know is it has it just been reinforced like that you know or or is there a problem if you know what i mean um with the structure of the dog
3: um
2: i think it's a really variable subject um Mm -hmm. i think with puppies definitely it comes down to how the puppy's been taught Mm -hmm. um or how not, no, it's not, actually that's wrong um, not so much how it's been taught but how it's been rewarded mm-hmm. so if you've always rewarded the sloppy sit yep. the chances are that is all you're going to get when you say the word sit mm-hmm. because the dog's going to do what it expects to be rewarded for um, so I think then again it comes down to the dog's physical abilities um, mm-hmm. like my Kelpies have always been like, even from the word go at kind of like four weeks old they're always seriously body aware um, more so than any other breed I've ever kind of had anything to do with um, mm-hmm. they just naturally seem to know proprioceptively where they are mm-hmm. um, so I kind of feel I'm quite lucky when it comes to that <laughs> oh, with them
3: got, um, compared I've... to
2: kind of like a, a large breed dog that's got these huge legs and things that it just has no idea where its body is yep.
3: um,
2: obviously then teaching them to do correct sits and mm-hmm. um, comes into the the area of of kind of them being aware of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think kind of handlers and training and even down to where we stand and where we reward makes Mm -hmm. a massive difference into how our dogs move themselves between positions
0: yeah i I laugh at that because i've i've got two uh uh, i've got two hounds german short head pointers and they've come to me one is two one come to me at two and a half and the other one came to me at five (laughs) Um, just little things like a figure eight around a cone (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness you know the first time i tried that there was arms and legs going everywhere
2: (laughs) Um, i think dogs naturally don't really have much body awareness um as far as they're concerned, their, their body starts with their nose, their eyes and their ears, and mm. then um, they kind of backside, but they have no idea that there's feet and legs in the middle of that. Yeah. Um, so their actual natural ability to kind of know where they are and what they're doing is yep. pretty minimal. It's like the front end goes back in follows. Mm. So um, there is definitely a big kind of case of actually teaching your dog about where each individual limb is, and how it moves and what it can do with it. Yeah. Um, which is where the kind of like conditioning side of things comes into. Um, It's just making it. And I think even down to like the natural exercise your dog does, um, Mm. like if you take on an older dog, they've obviously got their own kind of like set patterns of how they move and what they do. Mm. Um, Whereas if you take a puppy, which is kind of like pretty much blank canvas, um, the situations you put it in for exercise and things like that can naturally teach it body awareness. Um, Like all of my pups, Free run in the woods from quite a young age. I would Mm -hmm. say probably from like when I've had them at like eight weeks or whatever. They've been out on their own, Um, and instead of doing a massive walk, I'll take them and cut in through the trees and stuff like that. So they're learning to step over tree roots. They're learning to step over brambles. Um, If it goes wrong, I have no input in that, other than the fact that I can kind of go, "Oh, it's okay, puppy. It's Mm -hmm. fine. You just messed up." Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no pressure on the puppy to perform. there's no pressure on me as an owner for it being my fault if something yep. <laughs> happens um whereas if you instantly introduce equipment to say an eight week old puppy and the puppy falls off mm-hmm. um you're always in that picture so mm-hmm. i think that can then equally upset a lot of dogs so then they lose their confidence mm-hmm. whereas if you kind of always put the puppy so it feels like it's in charge of the situation and what it's dealing with i think mm-hmm. they cope a lot better yeah. um and i think it's Equally the same with older dogs, it can just take that little bit longer because yep. they need to kind of relearn what they should have learned when they were tiny.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, so it's definitely doable. And I think mm-hmm. the biggest advantage is with, say, a two year old plus dog, is their body is not really going to change in proportion. Mm-hmm. Whereas an eight week old puppy, it wakes up one day and it knows where all its legs are. A week later, it's oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Um, okay. a week later. Um, it's grown a couple of inches so its body is completely not where it was two weeks ago so (laughs) they're constantly having to relearn um, positioning and kind of their proprioceptive skills need to constantly be advancing whereas adult dogs don't have that complication added in
0: yeah yeah so, so, so both yeah.
2: having a puppy or an adult dog there's pros and cons
0: there's pros and cons and i'm like you know most some days i come in from training and i'm like i'm getting a puppy next <laughs> 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 You know, i'm like these guys are just it's taking too long <laughs> but you know that's that's about about me being patient and and having you know my previous dog was a kelpie uh, cross bull uh, you know bull terrier and um you know but, it, It came so natural to her, you know? So um, it had her. That definitely
3: wasn't the bull
2: terrier side (laughs) then.
0: that's right and if Every you look at it area,
2: not, it's not if, and exactly minimal self-preservation so that's that you, exactly yeah, right probably
0: helped that out. <laughs> whereas yeah that, exactly and, and that was a, it was a, for me it was a great mix she was born deaf as well so we um you know but uh you know that was one of the reasons i, I got her because uh, nobody wanted her but you know she looked like yeah. a, a white kelpie pointy ears it's just she had a, a slightly bigger <laughs> a bigger muzzle and the good thing it was yeah she was very um you know she was very good she very trainable and very aware of her own body um but when i put her on say uh in a new environment her nerves and her you know that that was super thick and super strong and nothing fazed her you know um yeah it was bomb proof because of that little bit of inf- if you like i said if you look yeah. at it, she looks like a white a white kelpie right <laughs> you know but um yeah. <laughs> you know you could put her in a new new environment new situation very easily and she would cope and just go about her duties you know and that's what i loved about her yeah um
2: and i've definitely found that with kind of slightly going off track a bit now yeah. Um, but I've definitely found that with the Kelpies as a breed. Um, as far mm. as I'm concerned, they're probably one of the most versatile breeds I've ever had. Yep. Um, they're not always the most kind of easy breeds, yep. um, but they're definitely, in my opinion, the kind of, they're the most solid tempered breed that I've worked with for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I've had previous had a Collie and a Lab and a Shepherd. Yeah. Um, my Collie was the least biddable dog I ever worked with. <laughs> so it kind of, she completely blew out the water, the, the laws of, oh, a Collie's devoted to you and wants to do everything you ask it and tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. She was never like that, um, which probably then brought my interest to Kelpies and their more independent side. Yeah, um, sure. My Shepherd was a seriously devoted dog, as was my Labrador. Um, they were like real shadow dogs. You couldn't lo- couldn't lose them for trying. Yep. Um, so the Kelpies, um, I think as long as you take them as complete individuals and as far as they're concerned, count them as equals, mm-hmm. they're the most trainable dogs you can ask for. Yeah, um, and the most versatile, as far as what you ask them to do, that they're, they're up for everything. Yeah, so, definitely.
0: Um, so let's, let's move into the, the, the Kelpie talk for the moment. So what does, you know, is one just sitting on the, on a couch one day and go, Oh, I'm going to get seven, seven or eight Kelpies to, to do sure. uh, mushing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um my kind of um my george um it was, i can actually blame my border collie for it yeah um she was a red and white collie um that i bought from a farm and she was completely not the dog i ever expected to own mm-hmm. um she was the hardest work i've ever had um so she kind of like she was the one really that got me into the dog training um and the need to do different things with the dog mm-hmm. um sadly i never Never got into the realms of bike joy and stuff like that when I had her. Um, Because I think that would have kind of sorted quite a few problems. Um, But she opened my eyes to, like, different training techniques um, and also the rehab world. So I've got her to thank for a lot of stuff, really. Um, So I got my first Kelpie. Um, Sadly, I lost him, Rip. who was – I lost him kind of a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. um, this year. So he was, like, my complete – kind of heart dog I suppose really Mm -hmm. Um, he was not the easiest of puppies he was completely crazy as a puppy Um, had no off switch and was pretty hard work Um, but equally he taught me a lot Um, he had um, kind of like neurological issues which Mm -hmm. um, equally then bounced back to kind of like the rehab stuff and things like that so Mm -hmm. between him and my collie they definitely opened up a lot of avenues to where my work was going to go. Yep. Um, but he kind of made me realise that actually Kelpies are a pretty cool breed. Mm-hmm. Um, so he then led to me getting my second Kelpie, um, who was um who is 12 this year, and um, he stopped competing last year at 11. Yep. Um, I still bike draw him um, yeah. for fun. Um, and he's, well, currently he's behaving like a two-year-old, so actually he's regressing <laughs> badly. <laughs> um so um he kind of like got he was the one really that pushed me into the bike draw and stuff like that um because yeah. he was a nightmare to let off lead mm-hmm. as far as where where i live there's a high population of deer in the woods and things like that so yeah. um actually having him under control and attached to a bike was a better option than waiting for him to come back to the van at the end of a walk yeah. so um that's where it all kind of kicked off um and then it wasn't long before i started to have visions of running a larger team so hence my numbers
3: so
0: up to seven and eight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, look, I absolutely love it, and um, you know, where when you started sourcing uh, the other dogs to add into your team, um, were you looking for specific uh, lines, or we, you know, were you importing? What was your um, uh, sort of general um, back- knowledge about that? Your background? Um,
2: all my dogs have come from a breeder um, a, a that actually turned out to be local to me. Um, Here is where I got ripped from my original dog.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and Rip was from an imported bitch from Australia,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, from really kind of like quite famous lines, uh, yep. from Burmanong lines mm-hmm. and then tracking back to some kind of pretty old fashioned working kelpies.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I've always had an interest in sheep work and things as well. So mm-hmm. um my dogs are pretty kind of dual purpose dogs. They kind of like they're my pets, but um as far as I'm concerned, they, they should be able to and want to do the job they were originally bred for. So mm-hmm. all of my dogs are work stock. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I kind of like followed really from getting Rip um Bean kind of came along who was vaguely related to Rip um, and then from there it led on to Taro who's, who was Rip's half-brother mm-hmm. um, and then he sired a litter um, who I've got had my first bitch from psyche um and psyche's now produced two litters that have turned into some pretty awesome all-round dogs um as far as kind of like sled dog work and kind of obedience agility um and recently kind of like tracking and man trailing they um, really kind of excelled in everything Mm. um so i kind of feel if you pick a dog that's really bred for the original purpose that it was it was designed for
3: mm-hmm.
2: um then the chances are you're going to get a pretty amenable job dog that will do whatever job you kind of throw at it yeah. um, and it's certainly worked for me with the kelpies so i've yeah. actually gone into finding my dogs from pretty hardcore working working sheep dogs really um <laughs> yeah. so they've, they've got the drive and the kind of like grit to want to get out there and work mm-hmm. um and actually psyche the bitch that um i i've personally had a couple of litters from. Um, she has zero interest in doing sled dog sports or whatever, all she wants to do is work sheep. So, um, <laughs> so it kind of to me it proves that if they've got that build and drive, mm-hmm. that's what they want to do. She's she's mm-hmm. a pretty small bit, she's about 14 15 kilos, yep. but she'll tackle some pretty hefty lambs and rams and things like that. So, she's got kind of like she's pretty ballsy as far as like the little dogs concerned, yeah. Um, and she's definitely passed that on with the attitude and her puppies. So. Yeah, fantastic.
0: <laughs> um, what was um, something that I just randomly want to popped into my head is, um, you know, what was the general consensus when you, you know, when you rock up to, uh, you know, dry land mushing events and, you, you know, and you get out your uh, your kelpies? <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I remember when I first started with Bean, um, it, was the, it was the first event I'd really tried. I'd done a local event. Mm-hmm. Um, which Canics UK had organised um, here. Um, and it was actually in the woods that I normally walk in. Yeah. So when it kind of like got advertised that they were doing a bike draw and canic cross competition, it was like, oh, well, maybe it's worth a shot at entering. Yep. Um, Bing certainly wasn't a natural when I first started. He was more mm-hmm. interested in kind of trying to sit on the bike. And yep. um ride the bike rather than run in front of it. Um and the day that suddenly just one day it clicked with him, it was like, Oh, okay, all you want me to do is actually run and pull. And it was like, Yeah, that's it. That's yep. all I want you to do. What you want to do every day when we go out for a walk is like, because I really don't appreciate, but yep. suddenly it kind of dawned on him what this sport was all about. Mm-hmm. Um so we entered and actually came away with the third prize, um, which I was kind of like really shocked at because yeah. I had no real idea about what I was doing. He mm-hmm. certainly didn't, other than the fact that he was gonna give me 110% and pull. Yep. Um so we came off pretty spectacularly halfway around the course. Um yep. and but we still ended up finishing in third place, so it kind of stemmed from there. Um nobody really kind of paid a massive amount of attention then at that first race. Yep. Um and I travelled kind of like up north in, in England um to another event, and I can remember kind of like Everybody kind of like looking because I was this new person that had rocked up with a van with dogs in. And um, when I kind of started to get my dogs out to exercise, I could see people were kind of like just looking at them going, what the hell are they? Um, And I certainly didn't tick any of the boxes (laughs) as far as like what the sport was about. Um, And being actually after a night race and then a morning race, um, Mm. we actually finished in first place um, at the end of the event. And he actually had the fastest time over the two days on the course which completely gobsmacked me um, <laughs> i really wasn't expecting it at all um and so it kind of like went from there i suppose he really then gave me the confidence to kind of think actually i really need to believe in these little guys and kind yep. of like just get out there and see what we can do yep um yep. then i met some really crazy friends of huskies mm. um and they both ran they had like eight rescue huskies and between them they ran two four dog teams uh, and they'd go out to kind of like a few hours over Salisbury so plane and things like that. Um, and so they kind of like got me more interested then into kind of like the rigging side of things and stuff like that. Yep. Um, I originally started off biking and then I, I had a short period where I tried to scoot off, um, which I think I'm still suffering from PTSD. I'll never ever do that again. <laughs> um, so I've, I've stayed away from scooters ever since. Um, so uh, I then sort of like grew to rigging um, so in 2014 um, I took part basically in my first full season um, with Tara and being on the rig yep. um, and they basically, they were unbeaten all season um, which was kind of like pretty inspiring to me and I can definitely say they were, they were the athletes of the team that certainly want me <laughs> um, and um, then we took part in the BSSF and ISF um world cup qualifiers Mm -hmm. um, at Thetford and we finished in I think third or fourth place after the Saturdays racing um and then Sunday they just completely blew me away because they gave me 110 percent and they pulled right up through the rankings we ended up finishing first so and that was just a two-dog team so I was like Mm -hmm. that was definitely then when I kind of went I want more of this yep Um, And that's when the numbers then started to increase. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's it's spiralled downhill from then, really. Um, So, yeah, so after that, I think we did another season running as a two-dog team. Um, Bean Mm -hmm. had a really nasty injury, um, completely not related to the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had a really nasty Iliosaurus strain. um, Mm -hmm. So that put him out. Um, And then, sadly, I lost my German Shepherd. And I had a chance of a two-year-old Kelpie from the breeder that, read my other Kelpies, um, that he was a bit of a clown and he had no particular interest in working sheep. um, But his aim in life was to run as fast as he could in a straight line. So he kind of (laughs) ticked a few boxes um, for fitting in with my guys. So I decided I'd foster him for a bit and see what happened. um, Mm -hmm. And needless to say, Diesel will be nine this year and he's still here. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, he kind of like, he filled my my next season for a two-dog season with mm-hmm. um tarot and diesel. Yep. And again, they kind of like they just kind of like finished top of the board yep. um pretty much undefeated all season. Yeah. So um that definitely then sparked my kind of interest in getting into the rigging. And yeah, from then I went on to a four dog team and finally got up to my six dog team a couple of seasons ago. Um because Artie, the youngest one I've got, um, she was just about old enough to compete and Bean was kind of coming to the end of his career, but he still wanted to give it a go. So yep. um him and her ran my six-dog team in lead um, and yeah, we didn't have a completely undefeated season. But as far as I was concerned, it was seriously awesome to get out there and just compete with them as a six-dog team.
3: Yeah, fantastic. So,
2: yeah, they kind of like, they filled
0: my bucket list, I suppose. Yeah, 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 for sure. And and look, it's a super, you know, in a sport that is seeing, look, let's just say, un- I like to say unconventional breeds, <laughs> you, know? Um, yeah. you know. Obviously, we're, we're twenty twenty 2021 now and, uh, you know, we're seeing a heap of, look, here in Australia, it's, it's very, um, you know, we see it, you know, every, every weekend at a competition, you know, a variety of different breeds and stuff. It's, it's, it's just awesome to see that people are getting involved in a, in a potentially new sport with a variety of different dogs um, to both mentally and uh, physically, uh, you know, hit some, hit the mark for, for a lot of dogs.
2: Uh, Yeah. And I think that's the the really nice thing about the sport. Um, Mm -hmm. I think from when I first started competing, people were competing with their kind of like pet dogs and, Mm -hmm and I don't mean that in kind of like in to belittle what people were achieving because there were mm-hmm. people out there competing and, and getting pretty decent times and stuff like that with, with the dogs that they had. Yep. Um, I think down to kind of human human egos and mm. our want to win and succeed. Mm-hmm. I think now it's slightly shifted, especially mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think possibly in Europe as well, over the fact that people are now starting to buy into purpose-bred dogs to yep. um, so then compete in the sport. So, mm. I'm not saying there's anything wrong in that, but um, I still really like the fact that it's a sport that anybody can kind of take part in. Mm. So, um, yeah, probably more mm. politics now than there used to be. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I think, yeah, I think as a sport, it's still it's still a really inclusive sport
0: oh for sure and and you know like most people that say come like you know come to a training session with me might just be a canning cross session you know um they you know they're having a great time i've got sharp A's, i've got kelpies i've got border uh, border collies and you know, labradors you know at the end of the day you know these these uh these dogs have had a great time <laughs> you know the humans yeah. have had a the humans has had, you know the other end of the leash has had a great time so you know awesome <laughs>
2: yeah and to me it kind of it definitely is a case Mm -hmm. um like especially now like the sport over here is predominant is being dominated a lot by kind of hounds Mm -hmm. um and your hounds and scandinavian hounds and things which my guys kind of like if i run a four or six dog team Mm -hmm. it weight wise comparison wise it'd be the equivalent of somebody running like i would need to run 12 dogs to match the weight of a six dog hound teams so it's kind of so my guys are pretty small. Um so as far as like being competitive against the big hound teams mm. they're they're not gonna fit into that category as much. But as far as I'm concerned, they don't care. It's only down to us as as humans taking part in the sport as to yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: worrying about what position you come in and things like that. Um yeah. the dogs don't care. My guys don't care. They just think they've gone out and had a massive run. And as far as they're concerned they still finish up being pretty good dogs yeah (laughs) exactly and and um, and for me i still want to go home with the dogs i started out with so um i'm certainly not going to change my breeds just to kind of tick the boxes of of being competitive um so yeah um last year i bought a a doberman pup um -hmm. and he's kind of my my new addition Mm -hmm. um he is so different to the kelpies it's untrue um and I, it kind of like I got him because I was interested in the breed and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, if he takes to the running, then he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Yep. Um, I've brought him a couple of times. Um, and so far, we kind of, like, he's got the understanding of running and pulling.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but then equally, occasionally, he has kind of like the idea of fluffy bunnies and things like that his head and he completely forgets <laughs> what he's doing and the fact that I'm attached to. It. So yep. um, he's, a, he's a very different ball game, Um But I kind of as far as I'm concerned, it's like my dogs come first and the sport comes second. So yeah. um, I'll still have the dogs I've got, whether or not competitive mushing ever continues. <laughs> so, yeah, no, for sure. Um, and I think any sports. I think if people are kind of like open-minded and mm-hmm. they get the dogs because they want to live with them, then I think that's the that's the best sort of grounding
0: yeah for sure on on that let's um sorry let's sort of just uh wind things up a little bit so i want to say thank you very much for uh you know for taking the time you know really enjoyed uh you know learning about uh you you know your canine fitness business uh you know the kelpies in particular um but if someone wanted to uh to reach out to you via either social media or your your business um where would they go about doing that one
2: um i currently don't have any websites because i'm Mm -hmm. really technical
0: (laughs) crap (laughs) that's Um, okay
2: so i've got i've got a facebook page Mm -hmm. um and um I've, well i've got my um personal facebook page plus mm. extra canine hydrotherapy yeah
3: um
2: as a facebook page and then extra canine fitness is another one cool, um man. so and i'm more than happy to kind of like help people out um some of the fitness stuff can be done online mm. um it's always i kind of feel it's always a lot easier done in purpose in person mm. um because obviously it's a bit more kind of personal to you and your dog yep um but there are Definitely, kind of options of doing things online if people are interested.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'll, if it's okay, um, in the show notes on the podcast, I'll link to your Facebook page. Is that all right? Yeah, it's
3: fine. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah. fine. Awesome. So, look, uh, thank you very much once again. I really appreciate, uh, you know, you coming on and uh, you know helping spread the word about, um, you know, canine fitness, uh, dryland mushing. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you very much.
1: Are you looking for the perfect gift for you or a friend that loves dogs and fitness? Dogs and Deadlifts has you covered with merchandise and giftware including t-shirts, hoodies, cushion covers, mugs, plus much more. Head over to teespring.com forward slash dogs and deadlifts. That's t spring.com forward slash dogs and deadlifts. Or check out the link in the podcast notes.